Hey, Adultish fam, we need a quick favor from y'all. We're conducting our annual Radiotopia listener survey, and we'd really be grateful if you could just take a few minutes to fill out the questionnaire. What he said. This means a lot to us, so please visit survey.prx.org slash adultish, that's adultish with no space, to tell us what you think of the show and help us learn a little bit more about yourself. There, you can answer questions about all the other Radiotopia podcasts you listen to as well. Yup, it'll really help us program the content that you want for season four. So that's survey.prx.org slash adultish. Thanks, y'all. Mwah! For me, when I listen to any type of news, I want to hear it from people who really understand the experiences of those that they speak or write about. That's what we try to do on Adultish. So that's why I'm so excited about a new show called A Better Life. It's a podcast about immigrants and how they're being affected by COVID-19. At A Better Life, the host and virtually all the reporters are immigrants or the children of immigrants, like your girl. You'll also hear from immigrant elders like grandparents, parents, aunts, uncles, to hear how they're coping during the pandemic and what they've learned over the years that can help the rest of us survive today's challenges. A Better Life introduces you to people and places that you may have never encountered any other way. It's the kind of stories that you want to hear nowadays. So listen wherever you get your podcasts. If you love me, here's what I'll do. I'll take care of you. <laughs> I've loved and I've lost. You said love me. Oh, what? Did I get the lyric wrong? <laughs> yeah. I got to go look up Drake and Rihanna for a second. But for real though, Merck, how do you take care of yourself? For me, I'm one of the people who needs to cry to release my feels so i just need me a sad song like take care and just cry until i feel better take care is low-key happy okay yeah it's low-key happy but how about you um i journal a lot also for me that like something that really helps is having a routine so like i'll wake up i'll go to the track i'll run probably like two miles then i'll have my little protein shake like 23 24 grams of protein (laughs) you know not to flex but uh, (laughs) i'll do that real quick and then just doing something on a really like consistent basis brings like a level of balance to everything Balance, like Thanos in the Infinity War. Exactly. At what cost? (laughs) (laughs) What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Nige. And I'm Merck. And this is Adultish by YR Media, a show where we figure out how to uh, be Thanos in a world full of Iron Man. And by that, he means finding balance in our lives by prioritizing our mental health. Exactly, and uh, not end up eating strange alien fruit and getting your head chopped off by Thor. That's not even really a spoiler. That's like the first scene of the movie. You still have like two hours and some change of movie (laughs) after that. So take a deep breath, eat some popcorn, chill out. Anyway, today's episode is 100% focused on yourself. And that's why we're calling it Me, Myself, and I-ish. (laughs) Me, Myself, and Ish. Learning more about yourself and spending time alone is probably one of the hardest yet most satisfying things that you can learn. And I'd argue it's one of the most important things that we could cover on this show. Yeah, I totally agree. One thing I've been learning in the last year is that I need to get better at seeing my problems as legit because growing up, when I would tell my mom, I think I'm depressed, she'd say stuff like, you're too young to be depressed. 
But now as a freshly 23-year-old, I know my problems have always been valid, but there are still some older folks who will be like, you kids, or tell you to your face, like, yeah, you, your problems will matter more when you're older. It just... <laughs> I like how you made the ball geriatric. <laughs> yeah, your <laughs> problems will make it. <laughs> I mean, it just, it, it kind of feels sucky. And so that's why Nige wanted to dedicate a space, Nige and I. Yeah, just, just me. <laughs> just, this is my Nige. episode, everybody. <laughs> um, dedicate half an hour and no more because we know y'all are super busy and got stuff to do where me, Nige, and our guests can freely open up about our mental health journeys. Yup. So first we talked to social media star Demetrius <gasps> Harmon about why sometimes he keeps his feelings to himself and he talks about how his mom saved his life. Then listeners like you tell us how have people showed up for you in your super dark moments. We've all had those days, don't worry. And finally, we talked to therapist Adriana Alejandre in our hashtag goals advice segment about why having a therapist of color makes a huge difference if you're a person of color, plus cheap and efficient ways to get the help you need. I need it! Oh, SpongeBob! <laughs> Air is not good, Patrick! Air is not good! SpongeBob! Pinky! So, for our first segment on our Me, Myself, and Ish episode where we, you know, learn how to take better care of ourselves, we've got a person whose face and voice you'll definitely know, at least if you were on Vine. Check it out. All right, Johnny, you can pick someone else to read. You better not fucking pick me. I picked Meech. I fucking hate you. Hey. Yo, Nick, the fuck? You haven't been answering my calls. I don't sell drugs on Sundays. Well, I do drugs on Sundays. So make a change. Room. Okay. Don't fucking talk back to me. Known back so then as Meech on Mars, now he's pretty much your 20-year-old renaissance man with acting, modeling, and comedy on his viral portfolio. So, from Pasadena, California, it's none other than Demetrius Harmon! Hey, what's good, Demetrius? I'm good. It's really early and I don't think I've eaten this ice cream. <laughs> well, at least it was ice cream, though. You know, you can't really go wrong with that unless you're lactose. I am lactose. That's the craziest oh, part. Oh, shoot. Oh, no. Yeah, I am too. That's when you said you can't go wrong with that. I was Wait, like, it can go I, very actually, wrong. Actually, I am three. Hey, lactose club. Let's start it. <laughs> it's just hard to resist ice cream. I don't know what kind of person can do that. I don't resist anything, to be honest with you, and my family pays the price for it. Um, <laughs> so we've seen you with Zendaya. We've seen you with Yara Shahidi. We've seen you with Khalid in the Young, Dumb, and Broke video. And you got nearly 1.5 million followers on Insta. And don't even get me started on how many followers you used to have on Vine. Mm-hmm. Um, Vine. <sighs> so is it safe to say you're like comedian Lil Duval, you know, living my best life? <laughs> or does real life sometimes still get in the way? It's a mixture of both because, like, I struggle with the things that I struggle with as far as, like, being depressed and, like, you know, anxious and stuff like that. And so, yeah. I don't know, I really enjoy every moment. I think that's why I look so happy within those moments because, yeah, I guess, like, when things are happening, is I really just take everything in as, as it is. Um, You are yourself on all different platforms, including Twitter, and you once tweeted that the best slash worst thing that happened to you was Vine. What did you mean by that? I think a lot of Viners and people who came from Vine and they're very talented, but they get typecast as being just a Viner. So it's like you kind of, I don't know, it gives you a a platform, but then it also is like, it's like a gift and a curse because forever you'll be known as a Viner, you know, like, and people try to dumb down the things you do. Like, he's a poet, but he's right, is a Viner writing a poetry book. It's not Demetrius Harmon, the poet writing a poetry book. And so that's a part of why I changed my name too. 
because I wanted um, mm. to separate myself from that. Yeah, definitely. When I first found you on Twitter, it was uh, kind of through, through like a really rough part of my life. Like I've always been a really outspoken person. I actually struggled with anxiety when I was around like five or six years old. I have like these anxiety attacks and it's kind of funny. My dad would like come in and he had this special, he, he would say it was, uh, he called it breathe cream, <laughs> but really it was just like Vaseline. And he'd, he'd come in and he'd like put it on my chest and he'd be like, okay, is it better now? And like, for some reason, like in my head, you know, it made it better. <laughs> but as I grew up, I kind of didn't really acknowledge any type of, like, anxiety or depression. And then um, I think, like, three years ago, like, I got my anxiety got so bad that I was, like, hospitalized, like, almost every, like, week. And, like, everybody thought I was, like, lying and I was crazy. Yeah. And when I would, like, watch your videos and stuff like that, I was like, oh, like, okay, I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. And you've always been really, like, extremely open about your depression and your anxiety, and it's refreshing. But has that always been the case? No, not really, because I've been on social media since eighth grade, and I'm 20 now. And so when I would start, I started from Tumblr. And Tumblr just probably has caused me to have the humor I have now, but it also caused me to feel like I can speak, because a lot of people... Back then, especially like now, even though it's more open to talk about depression and anxiety and stuff, back then it wasn't. And but in Tumblr, it was like a kind of like a safe space to speak on it. Uh -huh. And I think Tumblr made me comfortable talking about it. And then I remember like tenth grade year, I tweeted something, something in relation to like being suicidal. And I didn't know, like I never told my friends or people at my school like what I did, so I never expected them to find my Twitter. And one of my friends brought it up in school. He's like, "What you was like suicidal?" You, and I'm like, "Nah." But I was just shamed of it. Like, I was scared because mm -hmm. I didn't really talk about it to people. I didn't like the idea that he had, like, that power over me to, like, make me feel bad about it. So I just decided, like, right. that I would take control of it and, and, and put it on Front Street and, and make it very visible. And it's no reason why it shouldn't be. It's no reason why anyone should be scared to speak about how they feel. Because then when we don't speak about how, how we feel, that's when we lock everything inside and it just makes it worse. Right. Um, I can't really speak for other communities of color, but I mean, as black men, we don't really talk about mental health in our in our culture. It's something that we kind of just push to the background and we don't really even acknowledge. It's kind of just like, oh, yeah, handle that on your own time and then like, you know, get back to me when that's fixed. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is in the black community? I think it's because we have had so many things to deal with, you know, like if we look back at generations, especially, like, I, I look back at my parents' generation, my grandmother's generation, and, right. you know, they had to deal with Jim Crow laws or, you know, like, racism and all of these other things that are deemed as more important because they are your safety. So it's like your emotions and your feelings get put on the back burner because you're basically living at war. Like, you're living mm -hmm. in paranoia every day. And we're not past that day and age of racism, but we're past the day and age of the blatant, like, as how, how it used to be. And so... Now we're starting to focus on things that affect us internally because they I don't think they really had the time to do that. It was like, go to work, get out of work, and take care of the kids. And it's just like, you know, like you do that day-to-day -day hustle. To like speak on like an example, my dad, like me and him are kind of the same person. We are both emotional. We both feel the same way about things, but we just take different approaches. Mm -hmm. But it's funny to like look at my grandma because my grandma like has become more and more open about talking about like the things that she deals with. And it's weird to see the trickle effect because she understands, like, why my dad may be closed off and how, why she was closed off because she kind of raised him 
to think like you know you're one you're a man so you're not supposed to show these emotions but two you're a black man you know so like you kind of have to be on defense and, and 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 be strong a lot more yeah almost like we don't have the luxury to focus on self-care and yeah 100 mental health and stuff like that yeah i think i definitely see parallels with that um not exactly but in the asian community you know uh I think a lot of our parents' generation, they came from, like, you know, the Vietnam War, then they came to the U.S., and there was so much trauma that they just didn't talk about because it's like, we're just not going to talk about this therapy, ha, 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 no, it's all in your head, which it's, like, really unfortunate because I feel like that does a disservice to people our age Mm -hmm. because we recognize the problems, and it's like, well, if my parents aren't talking about it, then why should I? But I, I have a lot of hope for our generation just speaking up. Our generation is so powerful, especially those who come from, like, first generation. Like, I have a friend, and her parents are um, came from her home country. You know, she was birthed here, but it's kind of the idea of they went through all these struggles, so when their children talk about, like, not being happy, they take it as them being ungrateful for the things that they went through and, like, did to provide for their children. Right. But it's just, like, it's really hard for them to, to think outside of the idea of the things that are on the surface. Yeah, I think something sobering and really deep that we all need to take in, even right now, is just like we are three people of color having a conversation on a platform about mental health. Yeah, that's so, I mean, true. I mean, shout outs to you. Shout outs to you, Mark, too. And I just think this is like really dope in general. Yeah, this is nice. Well, there's another platform that you talked on, and it was uh, at a graduation. You gave a speech. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Look at her. She's, oh, you know, it's me. What can I say? That's my baby. Um, I want to talk about mama for a second, if y'all mind. Um, my entire support system is my mother. Everything I do is for my mom. You know, if I told her I was depressed, she would sit and talk to me and let me talk and listen. If I told her I was suicidal, she would sit and let me cry on her lap. Then take me go get some food, watch a movie, anything to make me feel better. If I told her I didn't feel good, I didn't feel. Like in the speech, you you talked about your mom and how she came through when you wanted to take your own life. So, were there any specific things that you feel like she did that made all the difference for you? She just validated my feelings because, like I always said, my dad is the the opposite of me when it comes to emotions. So when I would be crying, like I'm, I'm, I was a crybaby back then. Like I used to cry about everything. Me too. But it was just because I would get overwhelmed with things and I would not know like how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And when I would cry, my dad would tell me like, you know, like stop crying, like stop being a little girl. And then my mom would just let me cry, you know, like, but also just even like, I, I don't want to go to school if I don't want to even be alive, you know? So she would allow me to stay home instead of going to school. Cause I feel like me going to school would have made it worse. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and then, like, she wouldn't tell my dad about me, like, being late to school and stuff like that. Just, like, a lot of things that she did to protect me from either my dad, like, not understanding what was going on or just in general as far as her to, like, help me understand that having emotions is okay. She really did let you be who you are. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's, I mean, I kind of have a similar situation where it's been like that for me. Mm-hmm. And... Where it's just like, you start crying and it's just like, yo, I don't understand that. I don't get that. I don't understand you when you cry. And it's just like amazing when you have that person there that's just like, yo, I I get you. I got it. And so it's a blessing. It definitely is a blessing. And I think that's a heck of dope that you got up there and honored your mom on that. That was so that hard to do, too. <laughs> Not even hard. It was just like, 
she was in the middle, so I was looking at her the whole time. And it was crazy because, like, yeah. as I was saying it, I didn't even feel like I was talking to anyone else. I felt like I was talking to her, like, directly. Like, everything else, everyone else blacked out and was blurred. What did she think of it after? Like, after the fact, you know, you guys got home or whatever, did you guys have a conversation about that? Or? We didn't really talk about it, but my mama the type to brag and she was just like she was just posting it everywhere like and she had the, the Facebook live <laughs> being a classic mom <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I know she's the one absolute thing I know is that my mom loves me like is proud of everything I do Be sure to check out all Demetrius Harmon's work at DemetriusHarmon.com and follow, laugh, cry, and grow with him on all his social medias at Demetrius Harmon. All right, so Demetrius' mom showed up for him no matter what. Mm -hmm. So who's someone who showed up for you, Merck? Oh, my gosh, so many people. <laughs> um, oh, how about you also tell me who showed up for you at uh, the same time? I'll count three. Ready? Bless you. <laughs> Sneezes showed up from art. Wow! Go. One, two, three, when? Amina. Gotcha. Can you tell me a little bit about Amina? She know who she is. But, but like, how did she show up? Well, like I mentioned in the um, interview that we just had, when I was really going through it with my anxiety and depression, before I even knew it was anxiety and depression, she's the one that really pushed me to get help and go to therapy and like actually learn more and learn more about myself. And so that's really how she helped me and saved me in that whole situation. Mm -hmm. It's nice that she did that for you. Yup. Uh. What about you? How did Wim step up for you? Uh, it was at Christmas, I think last year or the year before that. And for whatever reason, I was the only one who was handing out gifts to my entire family. Yeah. And so, you know, everyone's staring at you like, where's my gift? And I think my emotions were already heightened because I was like, we had lost our dog recently and stuff like that. So I start to feel this anxiety rushing up in my body. I'm like, crap. I'm going to start crying. I don't want to do that. And if I am, I'm going to go to the bathroom. So I ran into there and Wem came after me and was like, hey, are you OK? And was able to help calm me down, which was super nice of him. Aww, yeah, then, then Marley and me cries are a whole different oh, brand of cry. Don't even get me started. <laughs> There's so many of those dog movies, too. All right. So earlier this season, we asked y'all on social media how some people have showed up for y'all in dark times. And here's what two of you had to say. By the way, my boy Josiah is about to cry. <laughs> So I was like 18 and I'd been dating my first girlfriend for like eight months. And it was also a time in my life where I had low self-confidence because I didn't feel funny or attractive. So as you can imagine, I was a bit head over heels. Anyhow, my girlfriend started saying things like, oh, I wish you had more of a skater boy look or I wish you were a bigger hockey fan. I wish you were more artistic. So we got into a big fight because I was like, I'm not that guy, but I'll still love you as much as I can. Later on, we both showed up separately to a gathering that I knew she was going to be at, and I was hoping to make things better, but she did me dirty by showing up with a new boyfriend. I wrote her paragraphs on paragraphs telling her that I'll listen to more of her music, I'll take art classes with her, and she never responded to any of it. And as you can imagine, I was absolutely heartbroken 
So a month goes by and my phone goes off and it was a call from her best friend. I was hesitant to pick up at first, but when I did, she told me that I deserve better, that you may think you found the right perfect person, but they're only perfect if they love you for you. And hearing those words from such a weird place, someone who was my ex-girlfriend's best friend, helped me move on, and that's something that I'll never forget. So I was 24 and I was living in North Carolina. I had started this new job and I was feeling a ton of imposter syndrome about the workplace, the environment, and I was living in this new house with a bunch of people who would just let random folks kind of stream in from the street whenever they wanted. And so I was feeling pretty anxious at work and at home, but I didn't actually know that it was anxiety yet. Um, and I didn't really tell anyone because I wasn't sure how to verbalize it. And so I remember one day I was at the grocery store. I was talking to my mom on the phone. I was in the frozen food aisle looking at some lean cuisines. And all of a sudden I told her, I think I need to go to therapy. And she kind of laughed and said, great, because your dad and I also think you need to go to therapy. And that was the moment that I realized I could open up to more people. So I started telling friends. Um, and they were also super supportive. And I think that's something I take with me now that I don't have to do this alone and that I can look for support from the people in my life. So Josiah and Elena, thank you for sharing your stories with all of us. And if there's any of you who want to personally reach out to Nigel and I, you can hit us up on our personal social channels. I'm on Twitter at UltraRadUberFad. And I'm on Twitter at Nigel T, Nigel with a Y, sliding them DMs, let's make it happen. Hey, Merck. Yes, Nigel? What kind of rules have you broken growing up? Me breaking rules? You know I'm an angel. I don't break rules. That's nonsense. That's 100% <laughs> cap. No, okay, so in sixth grade, I threw a banana at my crush at lunchtime. <laughs> and For what? Um, Because I, I, I liked him, and I guess that's how I showed my attraction to this person. Mm, how, how romantic. Very romantic. <laughs> then I got in trouble by my teacher, then I started crying, and then the teacher started crying, so <laughs> I cried my way out of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I can't blame you because I've cried my way out of uh, a fair enough situation, so I see it. It's a, it's a valid excuse. What about you, though? What kind of rules have you broken? Um, so basically, I got mad that this girl got me in trouble. She, like, made a little snarky remark, and I locked her in the closet for all of recess in the sixth grade, so... <laughs> Yeah, and I got oh. I got detention for a very long time because of that. Wow. <laughs> well, if y'all think that's fun, our friends at the Mortified Podcast are making a new series that's all about the moments people broke the rules growing up and what those moments can teach us. And the best part is called... Ooh, you're in trouble. And you can be on it if you're under 25 and have a story about stirring up mischief back in the day, whether that's something sus like cheating on a test or <laughs> something courageous like breaking dress code in the name of justice. Pitch a story at getmortified.com slash trouble. That's getmortified.com slash trouble. Help make some trouble. The good kind of trouble. So, everybody... I found a stat from 2016 that says minorities make up only 16% of the psychological workforce, according to the American Psychological Association. Did you know that? Mm, no, I didn't know that. 
Yeah. So there are resources out there like the Institute for Muslim Mental Health and Therapy for Black Girls. But I think it's pretty clear that we got to do some digging when it comes to finding professional help for communities of color. Yeah, but we're going to stay on the up and up, though, because today we got with us a therapist for our hashtag goal segment, who's going to answer some listener questions and break down why this is such an issue and what we can do about it. So we've got Adriana Alejandre, who's also the founder of Latinx Therapy, a therapy resource for Latinx identifying folks. So welcome to Adult-ish, Adri. Hey, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Yeah, so good to have you on the show. So I do have a question. Now, I can see how some people who, like, might not be of color might be like, oh, my gosh, like, why does it always have to be about race and everything? Like, it should just be about the profession and, like, oh, my (laughs) gosh, my Uggs is a little slanted because I've been wearing them for, like, a year and, like, you... (laughs) But to help us address that, our first question for you is, uh, when seeing a therapist yourself, have you ever heard them say something clueless or even harmful when it comes to race? Yes. Okay. Going real deep. I know. (laughs) We're getting in there. No, yeah. And and I've been open about this. Um, So one thing specifically that comes to mind is when I went to therapy because I was really overwhelmed with graduating from graduate school, also being a single mom. Uh, My son was five at that time Mm -hmm. when I graduated from grad school, and I was 25 about, and I was responsible. I was the oldest. Well, I have an older sister, but she had already gotten married, has three children Mm -hmm. at the time, had Mm -hmm. her own, you know, family. So I was like next in the throne (laughs) because I wasn't married. So I was overwhelmed. So I went in and basically the harmful guidance that I received was that I needed to separate myself completely from my family. And to me, that really, really hurt because I could never, ever imagine doing something like that, you know, Mm -hmm. to be told, you know, and to be pushed session after session, you know, as to why I was resisting that idea. That to me was very painful. Mm. Did you ever tell them like, yo, it is a cultural thing. You just don't get it. Honestly, no, I didn't. I've I've also learned how to not be a passive person. And at that time, I was still mm-hmm. new to learning my, the power of my own voice. I didn't know. I didn't know. So I didn't have those skills to be assertive. All right. So I've recently been triggered by someone who gives me bad anxiety. And this person will aggressively talk bad about my parents to my face. Mm-hmm. And as much as I want to clap back, I don't because... I'm Vietnamese, they're Viet, and in our culture, it's the social norm to follow this Confucian idea of filial piety, you know, respecting your elders, and this person's older than me, not talking back to them, and just putting the collective group before yourself. Mm -hmm. So stuff like this is kind of hard for people who aren't from a culture like mine or background to understand. So I was wondering, what kind of difference does it make for a young POC to have a therapist who shares their same cultural background? That's very important because there's going to be things that you're not going to have to explain mm-hmm. to your therapist. Mm-hmm. Like the therapist can just nod and know, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Versus, you know, someone else um, of another culture 
I, for example, personally, when I have people from other cultures, I do ask to be educated because I just I want to know what's customary and maybe what's not to them. Because even one person in one culture could be grow up very, very different than someone else from the exact same culture. Very so, true. you know, yeah, there's just always a place to learn. But sometimes even that in itself can cause some delay in the therapeutic process because there's some over explanation needing to be done. And so that's why I, it's just you miss you skip a lot of steps when, in a good way, when you're in front of someone that's already part of your cultural background. Mm-hmm. Right. So our senior producer, Davey, who's actually a little shy. <laughs> <laughs> he's on the other side of the glass right now. He actually had a question related to this as he's actually in the process of trying to find a therapist for the first time in his adult life. Mm-hmm. Um, he wants to know, as a first-timer, How do you know if the therapist you're seeing is a good fit? Okay. So, take notes. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) You you ready? (laughs) All right, baby. So, you're going to have to go through an interview process. And you're going to have to learn to listen to yourself and trust yourself also. And you're also going to have to learn to put aside the stubborn part of you if you are stubborn. Because sometimes that comes up any fear you know he looks scared right now oh no (laughs) (laughs) just trust yourself when you are talking to the therapist on the consultation call for the 15 20 30 minutes depending on what they give you that's your opportunity to be interviewing them to be asking them the questions that you need you have to know uh, on a general basis what is it that you're trying to um get help for. Uh, so you'd like to know, you know, what is their approach? Because absolutely every therapist has a different style, has been trained in different things. Mm-hmm. So um, you want to be sure that, that they can guide you. And then also the cultural background. I, I feel like it's completely okay to ask about that. But honestly, in grad school, they teach us to not share, to not disclose any personal things, oh, which I... Oh, oh, you as a therapist, right? Us as a therapist, okay. yeah. And I, I get that to a certain extent. But when it comes to my cultural background, I, I don't want to hide that at all. Like, it's just like, mm-hmm. you're going to be in here with me and be comfortable knowing this piece, or you're going to be in here and not know and judge me probably. And that'll hinder and distract you from your treatment. But if you don't feel like the tone is... It just doesn't match your style or what you feel like you'll need, then that's okay. You can interview another one mm. and then you'll have two to compare. How similar to dating would you say therapy is? Because, like, right now I'm just imagining <laughs> David being like, all oh, right, so do you like long walks on the beach? You know, like in my mind, because that's where right. you're going to be. <laughs> it is like a speed dating type of vibe. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. I've honestly contemplated on creating like a tinder-like app but to find a therapist (laughs) that'd be dope though i know i know i just have so many projects but that'll be like the version three of latinx therapy hopefully crossing fingers (laughs) all right we'll look out for the prototype you heard it here first guys yes yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i feel like it is somewhat similar to that i mean minus all the intimate stuff of course that goes on with with (laughs) the dating grounds for me oh by the way davy said sign him up for uh therapy tinder but um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for, <so> me, <laughs> for me, <laughs> for me, um, 
personally, like with my with my experience with therapy, I've just had so many therapists who have just been kind of like yes men. I feel like like I'd just be like talking and everything I say they agree with. And it's just like, mm, oh, I understand. Mm, yeah. And it's like, okay, I'm not just trying to like talk to myself. Like, <laughs> of course, I could have just, yeah. I could have just said all my problems out mirror. loud in my room. Like, I yeah. want, yeah, exactly. Like, maybe that's a sign of like people not knowing how to respond or them not like not identifying with the problem I'm having. I'd encourage because, you to like, ask. Ask like, okay, like why are you why are you agree with me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, mm. honestly, that is a style, and I mm. I think that therapists do that because they allow their clients to organize their own thoughts. You know, I think that, so I haven't, I've only gone to therapy once and it was my sophomore year in college because it was free and accessible to me. And they're like, okay, you have Mm -hmm. like four sessions this semester. So I used it. And I think my style, like I talk a lot. And uh, my therapist, he was mainly just asking me clarifying questions and, uh, yeah, because he would tell me, like, wait, 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 slow down. And things yeah. that I didn't realize were a big deal were actually a big deal. Or at least when he pointed them out, they were. Yeah, that's really important. You know, just um, sometimes as humans, we're just going and going and going to avoid. Mm. Yeah. But I have had people that have told me, you know, like, they've requested, you know, I, I feel like I, I speak too much. Would it be okay if you, you know, <laughs> interrupt me? And then, you know, because I'm honestly, again, I'm a little bit passive, not necessarily in therapy, but that does come out sometimes depending on, on the person's energy. So we create a plan so that, you know, they don't just go on and go on. Um, the plan is typically like, okay, what is a keyword that I could say? Or what is what colored flag may I bring up if, yeah. you know, I need to interject? It's like your safe word right. for therapy. Yes. So that they don't feel like I'm being rude because that can come up too. Mm, mm-hmm. So this next question comes from a listener. This is Tyrone who asks, I'm 23 and Filipino-American. I've never gone to therapy before because I don't know if my problems are actually big enough to go and get professional help. Plus, the idea of burdening someone else with my problems seems unnatural to me. But still, I sometimes have moments of social anxiety and IDK. Maybe I'm even low-key depressed at times. Either way, I don't really know what to do. So I'm just wondering if you had any advice for me. Yeah, that's such a a great question. And I want to thank him for being very vulnerable, because I'm sure that that wasn't very easy to type necessarily. So I feel like there are no problems that are too small for therapy. And we are definitely trained to handle most things that come our way. Um, and that, that's also why you want to screen your therapist for what you're coming in for. You know, I'm just going to go to the extreme. There's sometimes we're, we're also not trained uh, beyond grad school level for substance abuse, addictions or personality disorders. Right. So um, we want to be sure that that you're with the right mental health professional that can help with that. But regardless, going in and, you know, uh, talking about whatever it is that that you're thinking and feeling is worthy. It has a lot of value, whether you believe it or not, it really does. And I think 
you know, as being part of a minority, growing up in a minority culture, we're often taught to prioritize other people, our other family members or our community. Yeah, everyone else before us. And I think that's where that mentality is coming from. And it's something that we have to combat. To learn more about Adri's practice and to learn more about Latinx therapy, be sure to head over to latinxtherapy.com. She's also on IG at latinxtherapy. We also asked Adriana about affordable resources and therapists for people trying to adult, and she recommends openpathcollective.org. Basically, you go into the site, find a therapist in your area, pay a low lifetime membership fee, and from there, you can find therapists for 30 to 60 bucks per session, which is way cheaper than most places. We'll have more info on our website, yradultish.com. And with that, thank you for listening to Adultish by YR Media, a national network of young artists and journalists creating content for this generation. I'm your boy, Young Nige. Are you really that young? Uh, I'm low-key not even Young Nige. I've, been, I've <laughs> honestly been thinking about just retiring the Young Nige line. I'm going to just be Nige. Okay, he's Nige. I'm Merck. We also want to thank Davey Kim, the first user of Therapy Tinder, Johnny for our social media graphics, our executive producer, Rebecca Martin, and a special shout-out to Gonady Joe Johnson, our sound engineer, who also produced the music in this episode. Check him out on Spotify and SoundCloud under... Stanley Ipkiss, spelled I-P-K-U-S-S. And that stands for... Uh, I don't know, just whatever, right? <laughs> for sure. All right, that was GJJ. 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 We in the club yeah. the GJJ. <laughs> we are also proud members of Radio Topa... <sighs> we are also proud members... Okay, this is hard. This is harder than I thought, y'all. <laughs> I give you all props. We are also proud members of Radiotopia by PRX, an independent collective of some of the most hottest shows in all of podcasting. Find them at radiotopia.fm. And stay connected with us on IG, Facebook, and Twitter at YRAdultish, because uh, we're going to go now. And grab lunch with Gandhi, yeah? Or Stanley Ipkiss. Who are we getting lunch with? Are we getting lunch with you or Stanley? <laughs> well, Ipkiss is a cat, so <laughs> oh. it'll just be me, Gandhi. <laughs> All right, for sure. So we're about to go get lunch with Gandhi. Yes, sir. On that note, we out. Bye. Later. Radiotopia. Radiotopia.